welcome to the, the very first bonus episode of Pottery Revisited. You got Tori and Shay. And this episode is planning to go out on my birthday, which is on the 26th. So I'm currently 27 right now, but by the time you listen to this, I will be 28, which is crazy. So old and decrepit. So I'm opening a drink and we are going to dive into the HBO Harry Potter special. For the first time that aired on New Year's Day, which I we believe we talked about in a previous episode. Yeah, we mentioned whether or not we were going to watch it. Yeah, at the time, I didn't really care about it. And I was like, it was a bit nostalgic, but I said I wasn't very excited about it because of everything with the author. And I just felt like if it was maybe like five years earlier, I really would have cared. But now I was like, and maybe I'll watch it. So I did feel like that. And my parents were the ones that wanted, really wanted to watch it because they kept seeing promos for it. So we ended up watching it on New Year's Day, and I actually liked it a lot, which surprised me. But I think I liked it also because I had very low expectations. Like, I didn't even think I was going to watch it, to be honest. But I'm, I'm really glad I did it. I don't think I would have watched it if you hadn't have been very like, have you watched it yet? Have you watched it yet? I just wanted to talk to someone about it that like knew Harry Potter because I only <laughs> watched it with my parents and like they only know Harry Potter through like the movies and like taking me to the bookstores and stuff. They don't like know Harry Potter and none of my friends had watched it. So I was like, I need to get someone else to watch it so I could talk to them about it. So I think the thing I want to start talking about is like the first time we see different cast members. Well, I just want to talk about just the cast in general. Like I was surprised how many people they got back. This is like huge cast that's been together for 10 years so they have tons of people yeah also just like how well known the people are like dan rip and emma obviously are all doing stuff but like also there's just like the uk acting royalty that they had played the adult characters in the series and it's like you have so many people that are off doing other things and it's covid so being yeah. able to do this with all the people they did with covid restrictions was amazing but i know there was a few people were upset that like people that they didn't get like i noticed maggie smith wasn't there julie walters wasn't there i think specifically some of like the older cast members might have just not wanted to risk it with covid and stuff and they also may have not even wanted to be part of it like harry potter is kind of like a, a weird kind of area right now and honestly some people it's a job like they did it for especially if they were they didn't grow up with it like a lot of the young teens did and it was the job they did and maybe they they were doing other things like it's just like that's the way the world is so i get some people were upset they didn't get everyone but i'm like they got so many people and i was very like happy with they got they wouldn't have had enough time to go in depth with the main characters as much as they did if they'd included too many more cast members and i do feel like people are saying like they want everyone back and they would have watched like a two-hour special but like they are trying to advertised to the normal person that won't watch like three hours of just like actors talking about like their their experiences like that's a long time i had a couple other notes about just like the first scene of different character or characters different actors so um one of them was when we first see daniel radcliffe they have this narration going on and it's the uk audiobook yeah and it's beautiful and then my other thought was so obviously we saw uh, matthew lewis who plays neville longbottom and you know Neville Longbottom did what they call a glow up because the meme is you Longbottom. Yeah. <laughs> but so I've seen the meme. So I know he got really handsome. But I was struck by how much handsomer he's gotten since that meme came out. And like, I don't know. Have you not seen him in anything since? I mean, I'd seen him in things, but I guess I just hadn't. And like, I think the turtleneck sweater he was wearing really helped. There's something about a guy in knits. But I was like, oh, dang. I liked how he was talking about football because if you follow Matthew Lewis on, on Twitter, he's really into sports. Sports. 
I'm watching a lot of Father Brown BBC lately, so when I see Mark Williams, who plays Mr. Weasley, all I can see is, like, this priest that he is. Oh, no. But it was really good seeing, like, them back and, like, they seeing them on the train, and then you see Emma walk into the Great Hall, and everyone's there, and, like, her and Tom do this big hug, and, like, we see everyone kind of, like, talking and stuff, and... Yeah. I like that Robbie Coltrane's there, too. The Yule Ball dancing that they had going on sort of around the cast I thought was so beautiful, and, like... The decorations being so thematically similar to the Yule Ball, it was, it felt very much like a high school reunion with professional dancers and a budget. But it was, it was like felt familiar because of how they did the decor, which I really, really liked. Yeah, it's really cool seeing the sets again, because yeah, I kind of like forget, even when I watch movies, like, like all those sets and like the music too really took me. Where are they? Where are all those sets? Are they just always put together like that? I'm pretty sure they're at the studio because the studio was turned into um, a a tour. So I'm pretty sure they're at the studio just filming stuff. One of the other things I also loved that they mentioned early on is just how many of the cast read the books. And that makes me so happy. And not just like, oh, I read it to do research. Like how many of them genuinely loved the content and really enjoyed it regardless of their role. And I thought that was great. I mean, like, I knew... Kind of makes you think, like, how much of a phenomenon it was when it came out, because we were obviously really young when it came out. So we didn't know, like, the hype. I just remember it being in bookshops everywhere growing up, which is why I probably have three copies of the same book, because that's what people just give it to you, because, like, oh, your kid likes to read? Have they read this? But yeah, it's nice to see, like, their stories for how all of them read it. Like, I really like Matthew Lewis's story about him being at a friend's house and his friend just started reading Chamber of Secrets. It just came out and he hadn't read them before. So his friend's like, oh, read the first one. Just so it's just like, don't just stare at me while I'm reading this new book. Because that's something I would do. Yeah, leave me alone. They had a sleepover just to read books. And, like, I've, I've honestly been there. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. I've, uh, basically a book club, you know? Like, let's just get together and quietly read this book and then when... We take breaks, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Which I love. So one of the sections they had is called Weasley Family Values, which I thought was great and delightful. And they also had quite a bit of Malfoy's actors who played the Malfoys in that, which I thought was nice because if you're going to look at Weasley Family Values, you kind of have to look at Malfoy Family Values because they contradict each other so splendidly. I love the story about how Jason Isaacs got uh, the part of Lucius Malfoy. Yes. I didn't know he tried out for Lockhart and that's so funny. And I love that he was so disappointed and he didn't want to play another villain that he acted huffy and he acted bitter and disappointed. And that ended up being exactly what they wanted for Lucius. I found that absolutely delightful. And I also really loved how he did a bit of improv and they thought he'd slipped on something and they tried to get like the set designers. He's like, no, I kicked Dobby. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. that. Then he also read the books too and he like understood it, which was great. And I also liked how he talked about like he his like being an actor and being like this terrible person, but also being a really friendly person. And he's working with children too. So like accidentally injuring Tom when they're acting and then Tom's like trying to be like an actor and he's probably like 13. He's like, yeah, it's okay. It's fine. Everything's fine. And him getting Tom's like opinion of like yeah Jason was like super great to him like offset but like when they're on it's like turned into this terrible person he's like I was kind of scared I also kind of love that Jason Isaacs who plays Lucius who is scary was terrified of Rafe Fiend's character one of the things I saw before we get into too far ahead was um I don't know if you know this but Rupert actually didn't film the scene with all of the trio together in like common room really wow i didn't know that he wasn't actually there that's cgi so he was he's filming a movie in canada and so he couldn't be there obviously but the scenes where him and emma are together those are real she flew to canada Aww. to go film those with him and it's filmed in toronto so that was sweet but yeah it's actually like weird when i watched it the first time i didn't notice but watching it the second time 
because I work in television, I was like, that looks kind of odd. But then, and I was looking it up, and then people were starting to be like, he, like, like, there's a Toronto film studio credited. Like, why are they credited? And then it kind of came out that he had schedule conflicts. But I do find it very sweet that Emma flew all the way over. During an apocalypse. Over the ocean, just to film this reunion in person. Because I'll talk about it a bit later, but Rupert and Emma's, like, part later. But Ron Hermione is very sweet, and I have a lot of thoughts about that. And mostly, I just really like how they have uh, Chris Columbus in the beginning, kind of talking about his, like, how he got into Harry Potter, because obviously it's in film television, so I found this always very interesting, learning, like, going all the way back to, like, how it started, because working with kids is really hard. The way he did it, like, not all directors do that, and he basically set the foundation for the movies. Like, I cannot imagine what, the first two movies are kind of, like, my favorite movies in the whole scene because they're so nostalgic and like they just are so close to the books and they like I just the way that they encaptured the world and they set the foundation for the rest of the series like those are my go-to ones when I want to watch Harry Potter movie usually and just seeing his like the way he he saw the film when he read the books was like so cool and like even Dan and the rest of the kids say like the way he made it seemed so effortless like they were just having fun on set and he said it was really hard to get scenes because they were like eight to 11 years old and so getting them to all be serious and like kind of focus is really hard but like yeah he he just did so much and dan even tells him like it was amazing what he did and he made them feel comfortable too because i was like this was like a huge film to like from the get-go and like that's a lot of pressure and they didn't feel any of it because he made them feel so like comfortable and not all directors do that. I think quite a few of the adults on set did a really good job of making it easier for these kids to learn the job and also have fun doing the job. You got to see Robbie Coltrane was was singled out as being like a really goofy guy on set. And it was good because he worked mostly with Emma, Rupert, and Dan. And so he's really able to like make it fun and stuff. And yeah, I think, and they didn't even know like the acting royalty they were with, like Maggie Smith, Robbie Coltrane, Richard Harris. Well, with an exception, Daniel Radcliffe went on about how absolutely obsessed he was with Gary Oldman. <laughs> and I love where he talks about pulling Emma aside and being like, listen, Emma, you got to be cool. He's a big deal. (laughs) Protecting his worries. I love that. I love that. That was so perfectly accurate for their age and for... That's how I would be if I was like, I love this person. I think they're so cool. I need to make sure my friends don't embarrass me. I think it's also interesting going back to like Robbie Coltrane when they kind of move into the later movies when there's new like big actors coming on. Like that's like one where Dan's like, this is a really big actor. Like this is a really big deal. And they talk about how like he would let them like... He would get them acting advice and stuff. And I think it was different compared to, like, Alan or um, Maggie, who basically watched them grow up. So, like, they he, they didn't know them. Like, Gary didn't know them as kids, so he saw them as teenagers. And they wanted to be, te- like, like treated like teenagers. Because that's what about the directors. I liked seeing Alfonso and getting, like, Alfonso. And um, I really liked getting all the directors... Um, Inputs they got all the directors, which is crazy to me because obviously I love seeing Chris Columbus back because he did the first two movies. But then we get Alfonso, who is probably I guess in the fandom, Prisoner of Azkaban is either seen as like the best movie or the worst movie. People either hate it or they love it. Yeah. And Alfonso had a very creative vision, but I loved hearing like his the way he uh, thought everything. Like obviously it's very artistic and it's very different from Chamber of Secrets. And I I could see why people don't because people really love Prisoner of Azkaban, and I know a lot of them Marauders and Baxter got cut out of it. But I do love Prisoner of Azkaban. It's just very stylistic and 
but I get why people don't like it, but it was very cool to get his perspective. Because this was the first movie, Prisoner of Aspian is also really close to me, because that was the first movie, like, I saw in theaters after I read the book. So it was, like, very important to me to, like, like read something and imagine how they're going to do it, and then seeing it, like, visually, which was so cool. I saw that movie in theaters, like, six times. I don't know why my parents took me to go see it that many times. I, I, just, I kept asking to see it. And we went along with it. But I, I yeah, it was just, that story was very interesting. And it's also interesting, like, how, like, Emma and them said that, like, Alfonso did treat them like teenagers, which, because, like, it's a big worry when you change directors because you don't know, like, how things are going to change. Like, there's this new person coming in. Even getting uh, Mike's uh, take, too, is that he was a very, like, blunt and, like, goofy guy and how he taught the twins to fight and broke a rib, which was, <laughs> I didn't actually know that story. Oh, I love that story, too. You didn't know that one? No, I feel like I've heard part of it, but I didn't know he broke a rib. I remember seeing like behind the scenes of that stuff. I didn't know he actually broke a rib. Yeah, which I, I mean, that's great. That's what you get for picking a random teenager and asking him to fight you. Like, it happens. Yeah, pretty much. It's also cool to see like, like, um, just like the history between like, like Emma, especially in Emma and Dan, when like, that's kind of the time they were all probably around like, 17 i think when the fourth movie like around 16 17 so that's like harry's experiencing love and crushes for the first time and so are all of that because all these new people come in and like they would share each other like who they were texting at the time being like what do you think like what does this say and it just seems like such like like a like you do that with your friends like this boy texts me this like what do you think i should say back One of the comments I love, particularly on that subject from Daniel Radcliffe talking about hormones on set, was when he refers to the Triwizard Tournament and the Bo Batten and Durmstrang students as purposefully hot. He's like, what did they expect but hormones when they brought on a bunch of purposefully hot? <laughs> um, yeah, that's correct. That's what they did. They're like, let's find a bunch of really attractive people and have them introduce them to our cast. There's a lot of talk about uh, Tom and Emma's friendship. And I don't like shipping real people, so I don't want to get them. I just think their friendship's really sweet. Like, I didn't know how close they were. But just seeing them in the hug for the first time, and then then also, like, their interviews about, like, talking about how close they are, and their meeting. I think it's great for so many reasons, because, first of all, their characters don't get along so well. It's so interesting to think that those are the two that really warmed up to each other. Well, I feel like they're the reason why Jeremiah is so big, especially right now. It's just because like they they obviously have a great friendship and they have a base chemistry. And I get why Jeremiah exists because it's the trope. It's just like love, like like hate to love. It's such a classic trope. To me, that doesn't work at all because while Emma is very very similar to Hermione, Tom Felton is the exact opposite of Draco Malfoy. So while Emma or Hermione work, I just like. I think that Tom Felton is such a Hufflepuff type of person. Like, I know he probably thinks he's a Slytherin, but he's like this selfless, charming... I just think their relationship is... They say it's platonic. I believe them, because I I don't like to get into real people's business. But I just know a lot of people were talking about it. But I just think their friendship's really cute, especially how they met, where she asked him about the boom mic, and then he's like this three years older, more experienced child actor, and he's like, it's a mic, duh. Because I can just imagine kids being like that. I've always loved their friendship. I've, I love the idea that, like, somehow unexpectedly those two found each other. They seem to have one of the closest sustaining friendships on the, in the cast, which I think is great. I always knew that Emma had a crush on Tom early on, but I didn't really know why. And I loved the story of how Emma realized she loved Tom, that they were given an assignment on set for their actual schoolwork to draw what they thought God looked like. And Tom drew a girl 
in a backwards baseball cap on a skateboard and that's when Emma knew she loved him and in that moment I was like I love him too oh my gosh that's like that yeah that would make me love him as well as a friend as a what like I'm like that is I want to be friends with people who that's what they would want God to be. Speaking of Emma, we need to talk about the Emma Roberts photo situation. Have you heard about this? <laughs> yes, yes, I have. How do you screw that up? I mean, I'd, I can get it on one hand, but because the size of this project and how like important and probably how much money was going into it, I am surprised because in TV, there's so many quality checks for things like this, and I just can't believe no one was able to realize it wasn't her. Because all the fans knew immediately it wasn't her. And I'm just like, I don't understand how no one noticed it. Because obviously, like, they probably just, like, needed a photo. And they just, like, Emma probably didn't have time to give them to her. Because she's a busy lady. She's a busy actress. So they probably just Googled it. But, like, I don't know how they ended up mixing, mixing that up. Because obviously those things would be, like, scrupulously, or should be scrupulously, like, looked at. But it's so funny. And it's weird to me because because they all have publicists and stuff. You would assume that childhood photos of Emma, Dan, and Rupert had to go to their publicists for approval before being included in the special. And so in my mind, there's a publicist or something on her end as well that didn't catch that. Was like, okay, this isn't an embarrassing photo of young Emma, I guess. Sure, let it through. I mean, they rolled with it. They rolled with it because Emma posted it on her Instagram. But it's a funny how immediately that was like the one thing that was trending on was just like Emma Roberts and Emma Watson. And they actually re-uploaded the special to H HBO and Crave to fix it. Yeah. I mean, you have to. It's a big deal. I think one of the most entertaining people in the special was Helena Bowman Carter, who always brings a certain energy and... She has great energy. People said that she was the be one of the best parts of the special. I, I love getting Dan's input, but she's so charismatic and she's so whimsical and interesting and quirky, but in like a darker. Uh, she's incredibly enticing. I really, really loved all of her interactions with Dan. I love Dan confessing that she was his crush. And then they go down the stairs, lower to Gringotts, and she says, "We're snogging down here," and. It made me so happy, like, after the whole day of a crush, she was Dan's crush bit, to have her that be her line. It was tremendous and perfect, and, like, her sense of comedic timing just being herself is so good that it could have been a really awkward interview. Like, I had a crush on you when I was a child. Oh, wow, I was married and a grown woman. But she takes it so well, and it goes off so humorously that it, it was beautiful. It was one of the funnier parts of the entire... Uh... Yeah, I like reading her in like her how she interprets Bellatrix because I find it really interesting that they basically gave her free reign just to be as like demented as possible because I, I love her version of Bellatrix is like very close to what I imagine Bellatrix as yeah like I feel like she really brought the character to life and I don't know if I could see someone else playing her so I loved like hearing like uh especially Jason Isaac saying like he was supposed to be controlling a scene and he's trying to do a scene and she's off just like doing stuff and they just let her because they're just like be, be nuts. She would. I mean, I think that that's probably one of the most fun characters to have played. I mean, Luna is probably pretty fun, but I have to say being Bellatrix and being that kind of crazy, the hostile, chaotic crazy has got to be 
so much fun. One thing I was like, I was thinking of, they talk about the candles in the Great Hall and how they were practical effects, that they were actually lit on fire with frauds and sometimes wax would drop off them. And you never get that nowadays. Like they say they're so lucky to be in an age where they were still doing practical effects because most stuff now, like they said, it would just been done CGI. And I loved like the experience of the Harry Potter films where it was a lot of like really early, like mix of practical effects. Like, especially Dobby in, like, the first, the second movie. Like, he's such, like, he's CGI, but, like, there's still a lot of practical elements to it. But when he is in Deathly Hollows, it's not the same because he's not done the same way. He's obviously more yeah, basically all CGI now. And I, I miss that because I, li- I like learning about all the practical effects that they did in Harry Potter. Yeah, I like the practical effects as well. I also find it funny that they said, like, the candles were, like, burning through the ropes, so the candles were just falling. I'm like, I want to see all of those, like, outtakes. I want to see just a bunch of them trying to film scenes and candles are falling, because that's wonderful. And also a huge fire hazard. They build a giant set, they fill it with children, and then they almost light it on fire. (laughs) Who was in charge of safety? It was very sweet to see, like, um, so Gary Oldman's interview, both with Helena and with um, Dan talking about like how like they didn't really know stuff because the books were still being written. And then Dan's just like, oh, Alan knew. <laughs> He's like, what? So offended. Yeah, I will. I will always respect. I mean, I'll always love Alan Rickman, but I will always deeply respect that he had a secret that so many people would kill to know and he kept it. He didn't tell people. And he would often take control of things if he thought they were going in the wrong direction with what he knew. He would say, oh, my character wouldn't do that. And they'd say, well, it's in that. And he'd be like, no, trust me. I know things. My character would not do that. And I love that. I love that from him. I love I love how much he like kind of respects the character he plays in a way. Like he may not love the person he is, but he really was very committed to playing him to the best of his ability. And even though the character of Snape is written quite young and Alan Rickman was still an absolute beautiful man, but much older than what the character was written as, I couldn't imagine anyone playing that role better. I'm like, he just... Yeah, it's hard. He did it so well. Like, even though I, like, Snape's supposed to be, obviously, all the adults were played a bit older than, like, what they were technically in the books, because they were so young in the books. But, um, yeah, I don't... It's really hard to see someone else's Snape just because Alan did such a good job with him. Yeah. Even someone who doesn't like Snape. Yeah. My theory is just that Snape was so upset and miserable and sad all the time. He got a few... He aged a little bit because he was miserable, you know? It's true. War does age you. They say, what do they say? Smiles. Yeah. Constant, constantly being manipulated by annoying dudes. <laughs> Gotta be exhausting. And on Alan Rickman, I love the in memoriam that they did. I thought it was very, very sweet. I would have loved more Alan Rickman, but also that's just because of the person I am. That's a very selfish choice. Yeah, I was gonna say the in memoriam was so well done. I just feel like it's also, it's hard to talk about, especially during a time like COVID where things are. I just feel like they did the right amount where they touched on how difficult it was and like the, the moments they got to have with all those people. And obviously like want more time with them. And it's just a nice little tribute, but they didn't focus too much on it because it's I, a lot of the, I feel like a lot of the interviews got pretty emotional and they were cutting a lot, I think, to get what they could without... Or, manip- or taking advantage or manipulating the actors, you know? I thought it was beautiful when uh, Tom Felton spoke about Helen McCrory. Yeah. It's also nice to touch on Richard Harris as well. And I like that everyone got uh, their names there because my mom wasn't aware of everyone, obviously, but I'm like, they had a huge cast and crew I and mean, it might not have been the main characters, but like there was a lot of people on that, that series that aren't with us anymore and it was really touching yeah it, it's weird to see how many years have gone by 
Like, it's just amazing to think that I didn't even know we lost some of those people, you know? You just don't pay enough attention and then to see that and realize, like... Yep, you grow up and you look back and it's crazy. It's really crazy. It's, uh, yeah, it's hard to see it, but it's also... Even Dan said he feels like they hadn't earned a reunion yet, but it's been 20 years and you think that we're pretty close in age to, like, Dan, Rupert, and Emma. They're all in, like, their early 30s. Yeah. It's just like that was, like, the first 10 years of our lives was reading the books when we were kids, and then the next five to six years were just all movies coming out. Yeah. And then it was, like, done. <laughs> Insane. I also cried when they talked about Alan Rickman, just so you know. You need to be aware that I'm alone in my room crying. I didn't get emotional the first time I watched it, but watching it by myself, watching it by myself, I did get a bit choked up just like, especially hearing just like Dan, Rupert, and Emma talk about their experiences and how much tied into like my experiences. And especially I loved looking back at like the fan involvement when they showed like openings at the minute releases. Cause like, that's what my dad actually said to me when we watched it. He's like, oh, look, that's like, that's what we were doing. Cause my parents were mine. Like my parents drove me to the midnight releases. They drove me to the movie premieres. They took me to the exhibitions. They took me to everything. So thanks mom and dad for doing all of that. Cause that was like my experience. I remember watching the live stream for the Deathly Hallows premiere in the UK on YouTube and like getting really emotional. And it kind of took me back to that. Cause that was like magical. I'm more nostalgic for their fake school experience than my real school experience at that age. Is that weird? Like I never think back to when I was 11 fondly and think, oh, those people I knew and the things I did. And like, I, I don't shed a tear for the people that I was really close with when I was 11 that I no longer know what they're up to in their lives. But I do for... I'm much more emotional about Harry Potter, which is ridiculous because... Yeah, I know. I'm like that because I clearly remember. I don't remember a lot about school memories, but I remember the first time I got to go to a Harry Potter midnight release. Yes, nice seeing like all those like premieres and just kind of like how Robbie Coltrane said, like it came out during a time where reading was really low for kids. And even despite all the things with the author, like I don't know if I would have been as an avid reader as I am if it wasn't for Harry Potter. Because I wasn't really reading books before that unless it was for school. So on the topic of the author, I think we should bring it up. They did say the author wasn't going to be in the documentary. And they didn't record any new footage with the author for the documentary. But the way they used the archive footage, uh, it might as well have been an interview. The way they placed it in there. And I didn't love that. I sort of kept tally and... Four times they gave her what felt almost like a one-on-one -on -one personal interview. And I didn't want that. I was like, I don't really care what she thinks anymore. And I don't want her there. And I was kind of annoyed that, like, when they said archive footage, in my mind, I'm like, oh, they show us a shot of them at the premiere. And, like, she's in line with them at the premiere. Or she's standing on stage reading the book for a minute. And it's like, it, the experience is what they're trying to show us. But she was a part of it. So I was a little disappointed that they had so many moments of just her alone on the screen. Archive footage technically is any kind of footage that isn't, like, like new. So it, it was it was technically was archive footage because it was filmed. It was an interview that was filmed for the tour that was filmed in 2019. So it is archive footage. I was expecting they'd have something of her talking about it because I feel like it was probably part of like the with the copyright and stuff. They probably had to include it at somehow like her words at somehow. So whatever. I just kind of didn't listen. And then on the topic of that, I I mean, some of the cast clearly like Robbie Coltrane mentioned that there were one of many reasons why he admires the author so much. So he, like, some of them seem very, really, really love her, sort of, regardless of anything. But I found it interesting how quite a few of the cast members, when talking about the meaning behind Harry Potter, brought up the specific themes that contradict 
the author's more recent statements. Helena Bowman Carter, who I think might have been the most intentional with choosing to say this thing, but she wrote that everyone wants to know that they belong, which is kind of what a lot of people found in Harry Potter. And uh, I just, I loved that. I love that there was a group of cast members that- I know Robbie Coltrane specifically has come out to support JK Rowling. I feel like Tom was kind of wishy-washy. But the the trio were very much like trans lives are like human lives and we don't agree with that. I think Rupert has said more specifically lately that J.K. Rowling's kind of like an aunt to him because she's known him for so young. He doesn't agree with everything she says, but like she he still has like those ties. And I do get how it, it would be very hard to kind of break those ties because it just feel like family at that point. Yeah, I understand if she's been a part of your life. Everyone has family members who have very different beliefs than them and you still have to go to Thanksgiving dinner and be civil and there's probably things about them as a person you like and you kind of miss when you haven't seen them in a long time. And I think that's okay. As long as they properly state that they do not support hate, they do not support, you know, her terrible beliefs, then I guess, I mean, it's fine. You can't... It's their actual childhood. They grew up knowing her. Well, Emma actually did say, yeah. Emma did actually say that she was so proud of how Katie, who played Cho Chang, and how Bonnie and Ivana have all become really great activists and they're doing a lot of good just for the world. And she's really proud of them, which kind of made me think about that because all of them have kind of talked about their experiences and they're all doing great things. Yeah, it's nice. And it's nice to see that Bond's still there. Even though that Katie wasn't actually in the reunion, Emma still, like, named her and, like, acknowledged her, which is really sweet. I did think that was really important and nice. It's just nice to see that they, like, some of them are still close and talk to each other and keep track of what each other are up to. And because it is such a unique experience that they all shared that most people would never... Yeah, they all grew up together. Yeah, and they were in the spotlight together and they aged together. And it made for such a... It's nice that those bonds lasted. It's like when you still know your best friend from kindergarten, you know? Yeah, because that doesn't usually happen. But especially in films, like, usually, like, Harry Potter's kind of a different thing where it was, like, this big thing that it had the same cast for pretty much 10 years because most films would probably recast every film for a lot of the main roles, but they kept the same kids. And then you had those ties. They're spending so much time together. Like, I did, like, the story about how, like, the Phelps twins treated, like, Rupert like a little brother. And before, like, the scene where he had to dance with Maggie Smith, they were, like, widening him up, being like, oh, do you remember your steps? Like, we gotta do a dance routine. Like, what do you mean you don't know the steps? We've been practicing for weeks. Yeah, and how they just, like, would do that, like, just to, like, wind him up on purpose, just like you would a little brother. Just how, like, the Weasleys feel so authentic. Like, they were like that. Mm -hmm. One of the things I love about James and Oliver Phelps is how much they are their characters, but as a person who really likes the twins to such an extent that I've read the books intentionally to spot the differences between Fred and George, I think it's funny that James plays Fred, but he's more of a George. And Oliver plays George, but he's more of a Fred. And it's funny because I remember watching, listening to their podcast, I think, and they were saying that the first day of, of script reading, they got to set and they were all about to start and they had to say, sorry, uh, what? Which character is each of us reading? And the author and the director and the producer had to go into a corner and discuss it because up until that day, they forgot to actually assign one twin to each of the twin characters. And they just randomly were like, okay, uh, James, you're Fred and Oliver, you're George. But the, I just think it's funny that they randomly assigned the characters to them. Because they were saying like they got into Harry Potter because there's not a lot of twins in literature. 
Which is true. So they talked a little bit about um, different scenes, and they mentioned two particular scenes in the films that I just did not like. Yeah, I think I know you're going with this. One of which Emma talked about loving, which is her and Daniel Radcliffe's unnecessary slow dance. Okay, I hated that scene too. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I don't understand it. I don't know what it... Like, there's so many short, sweet things they could have done to express how important and deep their friendship is that didn't take up so much time and weren't so awkward. Like, I kind of think there's so many other really amazing, important story pieces that didn't make it into the movies that they could have maybe fit in in that time. I get why they did it, and I get why Emma likes it, but I just personally didn't like it. Because I feel like... Emma's relationship with Dan is a lot different than uh, Harry and Hermione's relationship in the books. And I feel in the movies a lot, Emma and Dan's friendship comes out a bit more with theirs, which is sweet. And they have a really sweet friendship. And I really like their chemistry they have together as friends, because obviously they're very close. But I just feel like in the books, Hermione and Harry like, aren't. That's not what they, they would never do that. No, they wouldn't. It's weird. Like Harry is really incapable of handling an emotional girl, specifically Hermione. He never knows what to do with her when Hermione is really emotional. And in that time, he talks about like, he knows he, she's super depressed on left and he's also dealing with his grief. And it, I just don't think that never would have happened in the book because they weren't emotionally or like mentally in, there enough. They were just going through the motions trying to survive. Like, I don't know how... If they were going to go out of character a bit to try and have uh, Harry do something that seems really emotionally supportive for Hermione just to like make her feel better, I would say it should have either been something that Harry himself would find emotionally supportive and comforting and he's just thinking, oh, this would work on her because it works on me, or Harry being a bit more of an intuitive friend and doing something that specifically caters to who Hermione is as a person. Dancing has nothing to do with either of them and it's awkward and weird, but if he like had started asking her, like, oh, hey, do you remember the spell for, like, little things to, like, distract her mind with, like, her intelligence, and, like, there's so many ways that they could have done it that would have been more of, like, a nod to who they are as people. The awkward dancing was just kind of like, why? Who lost a bet? Again, it makes it weird also because Harry in the book is very into Ginny, and it's a really big part of when he's away and when he's not doing stuff, he's thinking of Ginny and he's watching her on the map. And I think because Ginny and Harry were done so poorly in the movies that we don't get that. So it's just kind of weird and it's just between like like are Harry and Hermione doing something or what what's going on here? It's just it's very knowing the characters. Like I get in the movie it's like a fun like, kind of break from really sad times and it's like probably fun for Emma and Dan doing all this depressing camping stuff and it's just like a little like upbeat thing. But it's just like knowing the characters from the book that's like this would never happen. <laughs> It's also kind of weird. It's really weird, too, because Harry Potter never has, like, that kind of music. It's always been instrumental music, and it just felt... out of Absolutely. It stood out so much. Really, like, off place, for me at least, to have just, like, this random song. <laughs> this random song, and then they're dancing to it, and I was like, Harry and Hermione would never. <laughs> I loved when... Emma and Rupert discussed their kiss and how disgusting it was to both of them. But I liked how offended Rupert looked at first when Emma was like, it was the worst day of my life. <laughs> he looked so offended at first. Yeah. And it was beautiful. And like, I didn't like that they didn't do that scene exactly how it was in the books. Because I liked how the moment in the books is Ron says, oh, we should go get the house elves. And then Harry's like, oh, so we can get them to fight. And Ron's like, no, so we can let them evacuate safely. And then Hermione throws the basilisk fangs and kisses him. I love that more. I like that Harry was there. 
have to awkwardly third wheel. Yeah. I guess I get that they couldn't do it like that because they didn't incorporate Spew into it. So it wouldn't make sense. But I just, Harry needed to be there because it's such a pivotal part of their friendship that he's just, he's there for everything. If they couldn't have done it with like the him showing care for house elves being what made her be like, oh, yes, finally. There's so many other things that they could have used that gave off like a similar vibe. Like maybe they were trying to find things and he's like, maybe there's a book that mentions it in the library or something. Would have been a similar way of having that happen without needing all the backstory and Hermione. But like he wants to go to the library and like that would have gotten across, you know, I just think that like. Yeah, that would have been cute. I just didn't love it. Like alone in the Chamber of Secrets. I'm like, that's not, they deserved better. The I just want to talk about the relationships and how they talked about it because we had Dan who had like, he talked about like it being so weird, like basically growing up around the same crew and cast and then having to have his first kiss like on camera in front of everyone. So everyone you've grown up with who known you since you were like a kid, see you kiss awkwardly on camera. And then also to know that it's the same thing essentially with uh, Rupert and Emma that he had to kiss Bonnie and like he's known her since she was nine and how it's super weird and awkward and then you have everyone watching you and then he apologizes for not for being kind of like annoying during when they had to kiss and they had that pressure too because she said she felt that pressure because this was like the couple that like the the slow burn couple so she's like we gotta get it. I think the actual physical kiss was fine. Like, they did a good job of touching lips, as far as I can tell. Um, I've kissed a few lips in my life. They look believable. I believed it. I just think it should have been on the stairs with the... I don't like the angle they chose, because I've seen alternate takes where there was better angles they could have chose for, like, the actual, like, scene. Because I didn't like the angle, because I feel like it's all covered up, and I'm like, I wanted to see this. I've been waiting for this for a long time. But, you know, you get what you get. But, yeah, it's just nice seeing how they were talking about it. It was, like, how Emma kind of had to kind of, like, move into it, because Rupert was, like, not taking it... He couldn't take it seriously, because it probably is... i just trying to imagine, like, being in that mindset of being, like, friends with someone for, like, 10 or 15 years, and then having to kiss them, and make it seem like a really romantic thing. I mean, I've known my boyfriend since I was, like, an actual child, so I can actually quite imagine it, but I, I like him as more than a friend, so it's not weird. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, you adopted a dog together, so I'm assuming there's some, like, residual affection. But it was nice hearing, like, their opinions about the Ron and Hermione relationship, because I don't think I've said this on the podcast, but I'm a really big Ron and Hermione fan. <laughs> I'm shocked. Yeah, we're all shocked, but yeah. <laughs> I really like their takes on it and everything and like how, especially Emma was such a big fan of Ron and Hermione and she really wanted to get it right and do good by the fans. I appreciate that. I, uh, it's weird for me because I never read things for romance. Like if there's a side romance, that's fine. So like I, Ron and Hermione feel right and I'm happy with it, but I'm never that invested in the romances. I'm kind of like, mm. I mean, I do say that like ships are a whole other thing in Harry Potter. Like I just say I have very like, standard canon ships because obviously I didn't read it for moments obviously never read it as a kid I, I I support your one true ship James Potter and Minerva McGonagall oh <laughs> one thing I did want to talk about was Emma thinking about not continuing with Harry Potter after Goblet of Fire so she did mention that she was feeling kind of complacent and she wasn't sure and I remember reading an article about like the sexualization she suffered as like a teen into early adulthood and just, like, the countdown to when she was going to turn 18. And then as soon as she was 18, perhaps tried to, like, take pictures of her skirts. And, like, just, like, the dodgy interview questions she'd get, especially in America. Because they expected actresses, to, or especially childhood actresses, to be kind of, like, crazy. And the Potter cast was pretty clean for, like, the reputations, at least. But I feel like that kind of weighed on her because I 
before we recorded, I talked about this, about how Dan and Rupert kind of had each other, but they were the two male main characters of Harry Potter, but Emma was the face, the female face of Harry Potter. And also there was a really big push, Hermione push in the movies specifically for Hermione being like this super girl power, like feminist icon for doing all the things. And I feel like that she just had to bear that alone. And I don't think any of the male casts at that time could really appreciate like what she was going through with the, like I obviously Dan Ripper were also heavily sexualized as like minors, which is inappropriate, but I don't feel it was on the scale as Emma. Cause like, I don't want to go into everything. I'll link an article below that I, if I, if I find it, but it's just like, I cannot imagine going through that at the age she was going through that. Like you said, she didn't have anyone. Ron and Rupert, Ron and Rupert, <laughs> Ron, nope, Rupert and Dan uh, had each other for that. And she had already sort of gotten to her mid-teens and had a few years of this before characters like Luna and Ginny, like other female characters started to develop to be more primary characters in the movies so she was entirely alone and she probably didn't have a lot of people to talk to that about about that you know like a bunch of male directors and yeah it's good that tom does say that like they were really close with and she does say that she could be vulnerable with him so i'm hoping that she was able to kind of like um lean on him a little bit because he was a little bit older so he probably understood a bit more but it just kind of shows that it doesn't doesn't end because if you think about like now like actresses that we grew up with like i think Millie Bobby Brown comes to mind with the Stranger Things kids and how like they're entering into adulthood now and how and just like actresses like that and it's just it doesn't end for like young actresses like you can't we just can't let child actors be kids apparently like there always there's always this like gross underlying sexualization of them Hollywood is gross the director of movie seven David Yates talks about why and how and how much he loves the Voldemort Harry final scene death. And I despise it. Oh yeah, I don't like it either. I hate it. It makes me so The whole point is that Voldemort dies like a normal, regular mortal man. He is killed with a spell. He falls to the ground. He is a corpse with no longer a pulse, but he is just a corpse. He's a skeleton and a meat suit, like anyone else would be, because once you remove the horcruxes from him, he is nothing but a man. And that was so important. And to have it happen there in the Great Hall, and like the formation of the movement of the people who were dueling him at first was like the Deathly Hallows, where they had three people, I think it was Kingsley, Harry, and someone else all dueling with him in the middle. And it was real, with all the people, it was so perfect. And then he dies like a man and he's just dead and a corpse. And then in the movie, they're like fighting and falling off roofs and he disintegrates into magic dust. And I'm like, no, that's... I can see why they wanted a big... They wanted to make it big because it was the last movie and it was this big scene. But it was so wrong. It makes me angry. Like, I think that's one of the things that upsets me the most because the whole point of everything is he is a mortal man who did horrible things to try and be immortal and it failed and he dies like a mortal man. And they just made it all wonky. And I'm like, that is, look at me. I'm doing these angry claw hands. It's so infuriating for me. <laughs> I can see it from a movie perspective because I did study like, like stuff like this. So I get like why they did it, but I don't agree with it. Because I read the books and I do like the whole symbolism from the books. Like Harry died to save everyone. So Voldemort can't attack anyone because they have the same protection that he had when he was a baby from his mom. So like they're all protected. They didn't talk about the last scene, but um... Harry breaking the Elder Wand instead of fixing his real wand. 
disrespectful. Yeah, really not how it's supposed to. Like, he needs to fix this one. Like, in my mind, he did it, and they just didn't show it. Because I know it happened because I read it in the book, and there's lots of things I know happened because I read them in the book that I didn't see in the movie. So my brain is just like, it was just off screen. It was off screen. <laughs> <laughs> lots of cool stuff happened off screen, you know? We're not actually talking about, like, the last movie and like the end they talk about the epilogue and how they all look a lot better than did in the epilogue yes that was my point too because they're probably around the same age because i think are they, i think they look like 36 so they're maybe a few years younger that's what they said they're like we're so happy we look so much better but they all look so much better than the epilogue because they really i feel like they overaged them because i think they were probably like 22 ish early 20s when they filmed the last movie so they i feel like over exaggerated to make them seem like they were old but I just like Rupert had like the belly and like the receding hairline and they're like and he went with it. He went all out. Emma Watson's hair Ginny Weasley's hair looked like she was like an extra as like a paralegal on an old <laughs> episode of like Law and Order SVU and I was so concerned. I was like, what is happening? I just had a point just about them talking about the final day of shooting because I had kind of had that montage where they were wrapping everyone. And I just thought that actually made me pretty emotional just because I have been in like sh- shows and stuff and obviously i only worked on shows for like a year or so because i work in animation so i cannot even imagine just like the emotional like idea of working on a series for 10 years and then having to wrap and that it's just over like that chapter it's basically a whole chapter of your life it's over and just seeing how all mo- how they all got so emotional when they wrapped like their last scene and just like just the like the emotions like Emma said when she was filming that one scene where um she hugs like uh Harry before he goes off into the forest and she's like that was like her real emotions coming out because she realized it was ending and provoked that made me really emotional and it's just like and seeing them like watch like it over and knowing that it's over and Dan said like they didn't really know what to do after because they talked about just kind of like the psychological aspects. They've been doing this since they were 11 or eight in Emma's case. And that's all they've done for 10 years. And it's like, like, who am I? Am I Ron? Rupert asks, like, he doesn't know who Ron is. Like, is he Ron? Or who who is Rupert? What is Rupert like? And would they even work again after this? And it's just like a whole bunch of um, questions. And I think it was really impactful because... It's like, it's crazy because like, who knows if you wanted to do acting after that. That's like, that's 10 years, but it was what they did when they were kids. And I never, I'm not doing what I wanted to do when I was a kid. And there's also the fact that that was their character that they played. Their only acting experience is those characters. So they don't know, do I know how to act or do I just know how to act as Hermione or Ron or Harry? Well, I do like that Dan has now, he said recently that he now has, since because of Harry Potter, he's able to take roles that he wants to do rather than he needs to do to build his acting portfolio. So he picks, he's picked, like his last few acting roles have been amazing. Weird. Guns akimbo. He's playing Weird Al. Yes, Weird Al Yankovic. Love that for him. I love Dan doing these crazy roles. I respect it. I love Dan Radcliffe. Uh, I had one final comment that'll probably get put back into when they were all saying goodbye to each other, but uh, it's specifically interesting with the amount of time they spent playing these characters that when they were done rapping, they weren't just saying goodbye to each other. They were saying goodbye to the part of themselves that had grown that character because they made those characters a lot on their own. Like there was a lot in the books, but they did a lot to develop those characters. And because they did that and they had to, consistently express that so often in the films it became a part of who they are in some way and they had to like figure out not only what part of them it was that was just the character but say goodbye to it because 
if it wasn't who they are. And it's got to be hard. Like, it's got to be say goodbye to your friends, say goodbye to your coworkers, say goodbye to your life as it's been for 10 years, but also say goodbye to part of who you've become, kind of. Yeah, because, like, they've gone through the motions where this is just, like, every every year they started a Potter film, because it was usually every two to three years a Potter film came out, and that was the last one, and they, were, they weren't coming back for it. And that's just kind of, it's kind of like what they did every 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 year that's what they did and then it was the first year that they didn't have that so especially knowing that like they were playing the same character for 10 years and so they have to like take the character kind of out of them because they didn't develop those characters like i feel like all they interpreted the characters a certain way so they are playing the characters like how they interpreted them and then you have to separate yourself from it because rupert did say it was very hard for him to like kind of figure out who he was apart from ron because he said he felt very much like ron and they all did say Rupert is Ron. And so having to separate yourself from that. Yeah, it's tough. But you know what? I'm really happy to hear how much good they did each other and how much they enjoyed what they did. Because I know it's a job and it could have been hard and they could have felt like their childhoods were completely ruined and miserable because they had to spend so much time working. And it's nice to know that the thing that brought us so much joy as readers and as viewers also brought them some joy too, you know? They got to enjoy it as well. And it's all nice to see that they're all still very close and they all still, like, care for each other a lot because a lot can happen in 10 years. There could be like, a lot of, like, shows and casts and stuff, they still don't get along 10 years down the line. And um, there's, like, rivalries and there's, like, fights that, like, are feuds and they all, like, they all respect each other so much, which it, it means a lot because... There's a lot of shows that, like, don't have that, especially with how, um... And they admire each other. When Emma brought up, like you said, Ivana Lynch and Katie Lang and Bonnie Wright and said, like, the things they're doing, the activism they're doing is great. It's Yeah, it's beautiful. It's it's beautiful. Yep. And Rupert has a baby. It's all, everyone's growing up so fast. <laughs> Rupert Grint has a baby. Has a whole baby. <laughs> are you glad that you watched the special or was it was it what you imagined um it's similar to what i imagined a lot of like the one-on-one -on -one interviews and the cast sitting together on chairs in the great hall or the common room chatting is what i imagined there were certain like artistic elements to it that i hadn't imagined that i really enjoyed like the dancers in the great hall and the aesthetic of the yule ball i really liked that um i'm happy i watched it primarily because we got to hang out and have this chat and that's my favorite part but uh, I was a bit nostalgic during it. There were times that I was nostalgic. So I am happy I watched it. I felt it was very nostalgic. Especially because we weren't really planning on watching it. No, we weren't. We caved. We are weak. Yeah, I know. And that's it for our bonus episode of Potter Revisited. Let us know if there's any other topics you'd like us to cover for another bonus episode in the future. You can follow us on Potter Revisited on all the social media platforms, and you can email us at potterrevisitedpodcast at gmail.com, and tune in next week when we discuss chapter 12 of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, The Mirror of Erised. See you next time. Bye! Bye.